Hi and welcome to the V-Suit Podcast, the only podcast mentioned specifically in the RFC for awesomeness. Joining your regular hosts, myself, Chris Dearden, Ed Serwin and Christian Moan, is Hal Rottenberg. Hal is no stranger to podcasting as a host on the Power Scripting Show, a fantastic source for all those Power Show junkies out there. Hal, welcome to the show. Hi guys, glad to be here. Great to have you on, finally. Uh, this is possibly you know, beating Simon Long for hardest guest to track down. Um, I, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> we we only had to uh, redo the uh, invite what four five times. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a new record. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we all had issues though, so it's okay. Not just you. <laughs> yeah, it was not me every time. No, no. I mean, thankfully, everyone is a good kind of busy at the moment. Um, it's that time of year. Um, you know, a lot of lot of preparations. Be it for preparations for shows. I see uh, everyone was trying to get. Um, submissions in today. I think today was the, the final deadline for getting VMworld submissions in. Uh, has uh, has anyone gone for, gone for one yet? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, doing one um, maybe with Jonathan Med. Ah, uh, so, uh, some some more power power CLI goodness, I assume. Or yes, it's going to have a, a bit of a twist and the average. This is PowerShell. This is PowerShell, which I'm sure. Most, I suppose there's always room for PowerShell 101, but I'm guessing that you're going to be doing something spectacular with it. I hope so. Um, you know, we, we put a put a little bit of effort into the the presentation. I, I, um, I it's hard to compete though now that uh, Alan Renouf has joined VMware. I know he's submitting nine sessions. Nine, but I, I guess you know that's his job now. Um, he is paid to do that. Um, yep. Yeah. All all uh, all, all power to him for it. But uh, hopefully there's room for the community content. Um, and possibly I know seven of nine will be approved. <laughs> Seven of nine is always approved. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I know the there did seem to be a bit of a uh, a preference for a lot of VMware based speakers um, at last year. Perhaps it was just only noticeable last year, um, and that the community content seems to be more for the the VMugs. Uh, I do hope that they will try and get more of a mixture in. I understand the sponsors have to get their sponsor slots, and VMware obviously the biggest sponsor for VMworld, um, so they're going to take the lion's share of the slots. But it would be nice to see more, more community ones if there uh, if there's the content out there, and there undoubtedly is. Yeah, I had some some interesting uh, Twitter conversation about that yesterday, actually, with uh, with uh, John Troyer and uh, and uh, Duncan. Okay. Uh, Duncan actually um, kind of he he was let me just check here what he said to be honest. But, um, yeah, don't, don't misquote the Dutch; they get really upset about it. I want, don't want to get the V Mafia. <laughs> uh, there was something about doing flash talks, which he oh, was whole lightning talks. Yeah, yeah. I had Duncan said something uh, with regards to. Having something like that being done at VMworld, mm. uh, rather than this monolithic one-hour slot where you know you've got to do as doubtless house uh, you know you've got a lot of work to do to put in sixty minutes worth of content, whereas ten minutes you can probably actually get two or three really good points over in ten minutes time, and then have six of those in a, a rapid-fire kind of session. Um, and get much more content. I think you would get it would be greater than some of its parts. Yeah, but w w what I thought was, you you can 
you can pretty much combine the two pretty easy. Uh, my initial thought during lightning talks was, okay, that's a brilliant idea of getting more community involvement in VMworld without having to submit a session. Yeah. I mean, put, you, you've got John and the rest of the media crew from, from VMware in the bloggers lounge anyway. Yes. Why not put up an hour spot or a two, couple of hours spot each day where people can sign up, meet up, do a 10-minute flash talk and have it recorded? That's a really good idea. It's kind yeah, of I can, quite, I can uh, tell you, VMware Speakers Corner, sort of. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I can tell you how that uh, Microsoft does this with uh, TechEd. Really? Ah. So um, what Microsoft does is they they do reserve, reserve some rooms for birds of a feather sessions, mm-hmm. and these are not put together by Microsoft. They, they hand this off to another party. Um, I think it's Ineta. Which is you know a, a kind of a user group conglomeration, and they kind of uh, you know help. They, they they do the logistics. They pick who who uh, speaks, and the barrier to entry to get in the door is a lot lower. Um, you know, and and their their entire emphasis is on getting community speakers. Right? Um, they don't compensate you the same way, so you you're not going to get you know a, a, a free ticket, for example. Um, but but they'll they do several of them. I, I've um, I've spoken at Microsoft's TechEd conference twice under a banner of uh, Birds of a Feather. Um, you know, I had had great success there. I mean, you know, plenty of people interested in the topic that I was speaking on, which was um, just the best practices for PowerShell. You know, and I could fill a room talking about that stuff, and and it seemed to to work well. So I, I think, uh, yeah, John should definitely uh, in, invest in in that line of thought. Okay. They, they pretty much have the infrastructure ready anyway. So it's just kind of uh, doing something like that and streamline it and have people sign up and meet up and just record. And whoever's there at the moment could be the audience we have anyway. And, uh, and there's no requirement to get any free passes or sign up beforehand for anything. I, I'm just thinking, give people a camera and a microphone and give them 10 minutes if they want to, to do something. That, that would actually give kind of uh, some of the community people a, a chance to do something at VMworld that is recorded and that VMware, in a way, publishes afterwards or live, for that matter, if they dare do that. And then you have it. You can point to it afterwards. It, it could be a 10-minute a, a flash talk about something uh, interesting, or it could be a 10-minute feature request to VMware for a given product or whatever. Or even it but could be it, like it, a, a, a V-suit birds of a feather where we record the whole thing. That would be really cool. I, I've done the exact same thing with the Power Scripting podcast before. Really? Yeah. Uh, we, we did yeah. the, the, the video live from the, the Blogger Lounge featuring Christian as a potato uh, <laughs> last year. But rather than that sort of panel-type uh, video podcast, I think, you know, give someone a screen or a whiteboard um, mm-hmm. and make it a bit more like a pres- like a, um, a presentation kind of thing. Or if they... If, well, cause you couldn't really do a live demo, I suppose... You, They've got the technology that you could hook up a laptop and it can appear in a picture-in-picture type thing, but um, it's probably easier just to have a whiteboard um, and really have it like a speaker's corner booth. I mean, you can have people sort of standing around it so you could have a live audience, but essentially there'll be a camera there and uh, whether it then gets relayed on images, uh, you know, they've got all the monitors around the event that uh, 
tend to sort of relay the the kinds of things that were going on in the uh, the video booth. And so you'll have some audience. You might not necessarily be having to stand up in front of 500 of them, but there could well be 500 people uh, watching it. Uh, so. Or more from our videos, from our uh, our community uh, TV videos. We got over over 1,300 views. Really? Yeah. I got I, nice. I, I caught up on that. But uh, yeah, so 1,300 people do assume that Christian is a potato, which is fantastic. <laughs> And next year, yeah. hopefully, the year after after this year and this year, hopefully, Christian won't be a potato. Hopefully, uh, we can we, see we him in person. <laughs> <laughs> did you actually customize the potato to, to fit his likeness? Actually, I just went to a store in, in, uh, <laughs> in Copenhagen and paid a crazy price for a potato. Wasn't aware what it would normally cost, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a plain week potato. Um. <laughs> Luckily, my resemblance to a potato is uh, uncanny anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, no, we went around the other way around, and Christian had extensive surgery to look more like the potato. So, <laughs> and the good news was it was even closer because it was a Scandinavian potato. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think getting content like like that, sort of the the lightning talk principle, um, is a is a very good one, um, and. As you say, a low barrier to entry because you know we've had these discussions before. It certainly isn't the first time this sort of subject's come up, and we've we've looked at solutions to you know the VMworld fringe came up as a concept of you know you actually have a, a renegade conference sort of outside, literally sort of set up a booth or have somewhere very close by that you know what you you didn't get approved go and do this, but then we've figured that would probably fall foul of you know VMware's marketing people will probably get the hump and it could could all go horribly wrong. Um, whereas this, I think, would have the sanction. Um, it would have the ability to get a lot, a lot of people through that process in a short amount of time. And by doing that, you know, I think people will still go. Well, you know what? I got to present at VMworld. In fact, it was only ten minutes, but someone might see that presentation and go, you know what? I want to see that guy talk for some more. And maybe next year they might get a slot, um, a shot, at a bigger slot. I think it would. Um, yeah, you know, it's got to open, it potentially open some doors and give people the experience of presenting at a major technology conference. Yeah, I, uh, that's that's what I thought when I suggested it as well yesterday. And the combination of the flash flash talk and the kind of open mic thing, uh, I think, uh, is a good one. If if the people who shows up uh, are prepared to pre have prepared to do such a thing, that would be a be a good idea, and I, I think a lot of people would be interested in that, regardless of trying to have a speaker slot at VMworld or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, hopefully get some get some publicity around it. I know uh, John and uh, Alex are uh, pretty good at drawing up that publicity. I think it's it, it would be something that people outside, you know, the the V expert community and outside the um, the tighter inner circle of the community, as it were. Um, I don't want to make it sound hierarchical, but those that tend to actually pay attention to these sorts of things. But if they could get that, the message out to more general attendees of VMworld, um, then, uh, yeah, you know, your chances of getting some content would be even higher. And while we have a lull in conversation here, I'm going to go ahead and add that um, we're going to mention the V Expert program uh, momentarily here. 
Uh, now, thanks to Alex and John, um, all three VX, all three uh, VSoup uh, hosts are now V experts. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm the last one to join, and uh, I'd like to say thanks to uh, Alex and John for that. Yeah. So, is this the part where we all congratulate each other? Yeah, and then we all shake hands and hug each other and cry at the end. That's a secret yeah. handshake, remember? Yeah, don't we have a, a handshake? <laughs> There's a video, but it's hidden in the forum. <laughs> oh, fantastic, fantastic. But it, in, all, in all honesty, it isn't hard to hide things in the expert forums. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> So um, yeah, Christian, you mentioned something about those V expert forums. Care to air air it here? <laughs> Feel free to say none. Uh no, I just kind of uh spent some time trying to uh tell uh some of the new V experts what's uh what might not be working correctly on the VMware forums at the moment. <laughs> the V expert forums. I, I thought, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it never hurts to remind people about sort of you know kind of forum etiquette to an extent. Um, in fact, it's something I've got as an idea for a uh, a presentation for something, be it a user group or, or otherwise, about you know sort of uh, not quite sort of social media sort of usage, but you know how to use forums, um, mainly from the the idea of tech support um, for companies that use a forum for tech support, how to use it effectively. Um, that you know, if you're really good, you can get your problems solved without phoning support. If you're really, really good, you'll get support to phone you first, um, because no one likes phoning support. Um, I, as a you know, I spent enough time on support to know that if I've got to phone support, then something's properly broken, um, and I'm not going to look, look forward to the rigmarole of trying, you know, spending some time before I can actually speak to someone who actually understands my problem and is in a position to do something about it. And that's very much my measure of a good support function, is that how quickly can I achieve that? Um, but I think there are tips and tricks, and there are certainly ways around it. Uh, and hopefully, at some, at some point, I'll be able to share those with people. I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. Could you repeat what you, you just said for the past five minutes? How <laughs> <laughs> just kind of zoned out there. He <laughs> had a bit of an office space moment. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> That's right. That, that was what we call a comfortable silence on the uh, on the VC podcast. Where uh, yeah, we, we often have awkward silence, silence but not yeah. not usually comfortable silence. Yeah, that wasn't too awkward. I've I, I've had I've had less awkward ones. Uh, normally, after I've made a joke, um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking um, of moments of clarity rather than of, of awkward silences, and, and I recently had one. Um, I finally had my PowerShell moment of clarity. So, you know, I've been exposed to PowerShell and I've sort of copied and pasted examples like the best of them. But I've never really quite got it. Um, coming from a, a non-object orientated background, I didn't quite understand how you manipulate things like that. And just the other day, I, I really had a, a proper light bulb moment and uh, felt, felt a much better person as a result. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, did you guys... Is it only me that had sort of, you know, had this sort of kind of um, road bump into getting into PowerShell, or was it something that came a bit more naturally uh, for those that are more development orientated, people who are a little bit more into programming, perhaps than I? Am? Uh, 
Now, my light bulb moment, this is how, my light bulb moment was quite a long time ago, so I don't, I don't even, I don't even remember how it happened. Was it um, more of a gas lamp moment? Was it that one? <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was sort of like a flashlight, you know, but it was uh, one of those with the, the button was really kind of hard to, to turn on, and once you finally click it on, then you're like, okay, now I have light. I don't, I don't even, I don't even know. Um, I, I think my, my thing with, um, with PowerShell was probably, first of all, you have to, if you have any experience with Visual Basic, uh, with VB Script, rather, then you have to forget it and start over. <laughs> um, if, if you went straight from Windows Batch, then that experience is, is, uh, is somewhat applicable. At least you're not, you're not doing anything that could be considered programming, per se, so you haven't learned any, any bad or, or, or odd or, or useless habits. Um, but PowerShell, I think, um, you mentioned object, object oriented. So once you understand what that means in a scripting language, I mean, that's usually where the light bulb happens in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Once I realized I couldn't just pass a string in as the name of the server, because I, I, I would frequently write, uh, get, do this where that server is called that, and it would fail, and I'd, I'd generally get upset and close the window and go off and get a coffee, um, and then Google for someone else's answer. Uh, once I realized that, actually, no, you have to put in something which is the server object, not just the server name, um, that suddenly, that was, that was it. That was the moment I had, really. Uh, and it sounds re really quite sort of elementary stuff, but for, for someone who's never officially been taught programming, uh, apart from... I think one module of four trans seventy seven at university. Um, it was yeah, it was quite different. No, I had one programming course. Um, it, it wasn't Fortran; it was C. Uh, when I was in college, and I mean, I did well at it, but I didn't continue. I, I wasn't good at school. I didn't stay in school and complete that, and and go on to become a computer science major or anything along those lines. Um, and I never got into to developer. Uh, I, I don't have the, the attention span to, to be a developer. Um, I found that once things get to a certain level of complexity, I want to use shortcuts. I want to go. I want to do something easier with a different, not, not easier necessarily, but like I strive for things that are more simple in in their components. And when I have to think about things like I don't know passing a pointer by reference and allocating memory and and, and all that stuff, I, I don't care to do that. So PowerShell, when I picked that up, it was, um, it, it didn't, it didn't, and it still doesn't feel to me like programming. So, I mean, most, most of what I do in PowerShell is sitting at a command prompt and using it interactively to do, you know, quick things, short things, getting data out of a system usually. So it feels like you're banging away at a command prompt except typing way more than usual. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's like normal typing, but you have to hit shift a lot more often to get all the funny symbols up. Yeah. You do have to use literally every piece of punctuation on your keyboard. Yeah. Do you, do you reckon that PowerShell is in fact sponsored by Cherry because they realized that their keyboards were lasting a little bit too long? Thought, you know what, let's, let's try and wear out some of these unusual keys. <laughs> yeah, we needed to have a use for the... Uh, the back tick uh, more. It wasn't being used enough. Uh, it's a, it's, you, you, you mentioned you were on a, on a MacBook now as well. Yeah, for the for the first time ever, I am the uh, a Mac user. 
Oh, that's when I started Splunk in uh, February. Yeah, and I got my first MacBook now in, in January this year. So, and I, I, I've never had one before either, so. But how do you find doing PowerShell on a MacBook, even if it's an Fusion VM? With a, yeah, with so a, I, I do have a Fusion VM running um, all day, every day, pretty much. Um, I, I definitely w- do work in both systems. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I'm usually running PowerShell version 3 beta um, and using the, the integrated script editor, the ISE. Okay. And um, it, it works fine with the keyboard that, that I have. I, I've just got a um, the uh, the Mac USB keyboard, and it's mm-hmm. got all the keys that, that I need in the right places. So, uh, well, I mean, obviously the... Uh, there's that command button, and you know the control button's not in the right place, and you know, there's there's a couple of weird things down there. But generally speaking, um, I, I haven't had too many challenges. Okay, I, I'm finding that pretty difficult sometimes uh, moving around with uh, inside the Fusion VMs with the Mac keyboard and trying to do stuff uh, with whatever. So, but it's it, it's it's a learning curve. It's uh, it's interesting. Uh, but uh, but I have to say that the uh, the whole as far as I'm concerned, the whole Mac experience is has been uh, has been a good one. So it's uh but I, I, I tend to not kind of tweak around with the operating system anymore. I, I do more system uh server stuff and that kind of thing. I don't spend much time customizing and, and playing around with my own hardware anymore. I have not liked messing around with hardware for a long, long time and mm-hmm. I think it just took me a while to realize it. It's like skateboarding, you do grow out of it. <laughs> I yeah, I guess I see what you're saying yeah. because I there certainly are some have people who still do it over the age of thirty, but you know their numbers are diminishing. Yeah, you should tell that to Tony Hawk. <laughs> exactly, you know, you've got to have one or two. But yeah. <laughs> I played the hell out of Tony Hawk Pro Skater <laughs> in my time. I played the one on the Wii where you've got to like balance on a thing. That was quite fun. But yeah, I mean, I've I've built my share of computers. Um, you know, all of them PCs, mm-hmm. and at some point, and it may have, it, honestly, it may have coincided around the time that I discovered VMware, uh, I really wanted, I didn't want to play with hardware anymore. That's the way I feel about Mac. You just want to buy something that's elegantly designed, very nice and handy to carry around, and you can do whatever you want on it. The hardware yeah. design for me is is tops. I know most people here might, eh, I don't know who would agree with me and who wouldn't. But. I like the hardware, I just don't like the company and the operating system. Um, I, I, I've gotten to the point where I actually don't care anymore. <laughs> I don't have any principles, right? But I'm going to try and hold to this one for as long as I possibly <laughs> can. <laughs> You're a married man now, you, you've lost. <laughs> okay. well, the thing is, what, my point is that I don't care anymore. If it's a, a, a Lenovo, if it's a Mac, if it's a HP or a Dell or whatever, I don't care. Yeah, it's, it's at all, as long as it works. And the thing is, this 13-inch MacBook Air that I have is perfect for logging around to customers and to and from work and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the form factor and everything on it, it it's just great. And it, it, it's kind of funny because I, I have this Lenovo thing. Um, for years, and I'm really happy with it. And I used to put that in my bag and to, to, um, from the office and whatever. 
And in January, when I got this uh, this MacBook Air, I can't, after a month, I couldn't believe how heavy that thing was. And, um, uh, I, I, I love it. I absolutely adore stuff the laptop around with me. Um, it's very powerful, but it's, it's very heavy. And most of the time, I don't need half the power that I have. Uh, because I'm not, it can run a portable lab. I can run a good sized lab on it, but most of the time I'm just connecting into a, a remote lab via view. So exactly I've got a small laptop now. <laughs> yeah, I would much rather do that now than have a, looking around my lab with me, which I used to do as well. And for that purpose, the the uh, the MacBook I have is perfect. Yeah, I think I think I'm probably going to go for some form of ultrabook. Um, you know, something that probably looks like a Mac but isn't a Mac. Um, I just depends on what I fancy shelling out on because they're not, an ex you know, they're fairly expensive at the moment. Um, there are some very nice ones that, you know, probably say it's almost as good as a Mac, which reminds me a lot of those Volkswagen adverts. But uh, <laughs> if I, uh, I mean, I know you can run Fusion, but if if I had a Mac, I would have to actually run Windows natively on it. Um, can you do that? Uh, it sounds like a really dumb blonde question, but well, I, I really... You heard the whole Hackintosh thing, right? You can do the reverse. Yeah, so that's the reverse, isn't it? That's running... Yeah, boot camp, I think, is the word you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, but boot camp's old school, kind of. Yeah, I know there's... I thought Hackintosh was running OS X on a PC. Yeah, yeah that that yeah. is true. However, I, I, hmm, no, yeah, you could never do it the other way around unless you did... Uh, like Hal said, something like boot camp, but boot camp's pretty, for me, is old school where you're booting partitions and stuff. I, I tried running Windows 8 from a USB stick. Uh, that did not work on my air. <laughs> I've got it running in a Fusion VM. Yeah, that works, but I tried running the live USB stuff from, directly on the hardware. It didn't like it. No. I was at a, a, a meeting today, and I saw someone actually running Windows 8 as their their laptop OS. Mm -hmm. um, actually, and I think they they demetroized it, so it actually just looked like kind of Windows Seven. If it weren't for the yes, if it weren't for the fact that it, it had Windows Eight uh, Community Preview kind of in the corner, I wouldn't have noticed it was Windows Eight. Really, I wasn't staring that hard. Right. Um, so you know, it obviously it's got to be fairly usable. I mean, he wasn't having to sort of you know mess about with it. All his apps seemed to be. Seems to be working, so I guess you know if it does does that quite well, then I'm sure I'm sure it'll have plenty of uptake. Um, I haven't had a, a massive chance to play with it myself. Okay, so so how uh, the reason you got a Mac was that you changed jobs, right? Right. Yeah, I left a um, a small insurance company where I was the vSphere admin to uh, went to Splunk. I joined Splunk in February of this year. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I've had a quick look at Splunk before, uh, when I kind of love the t-shirts, but uh, I haven't done really much work with it, to be honest. So I can give you guys the short version of it if you want. Yeah. So Splunk is, um, in, its, in its essence, it's like a search engine for for data, and the data could come from anywhere. So it could come from your uh, network devices or uh, syslog, you know, that's coming from um, you know a vSphere server. It could be coming from a uh, an in-house application, you know, scraping log files, 
or the data could be coming from uh, an arbitrary script that you run, and, and you know the data that comes from that script is, is, is put into Splunk. And then once you have everything centralized into one place, then you can perform analytics, you can do searches, you can you know, correlate things together, produce visualizations, and it, it's a bit of a, of a platform. So you know it's it's uh, it's kind of a Swiss Swiss Army knife, um, a platform. It's it's very flexible, you know, in in a sort of enterprise sense. So you can do a lot of things with it. And then what we're doing, uh, my my team in particular, I'm a part of the technical business development team. And what we do is create some of these integrations with some of our partners and other interesting areas in in the industry. So, for example, um, I'm working on an app for Splunk to integrate with Cisco's uh, UCS server platform. Okay. So, kind of, basically, um, although if you were so inclined, you could write this stuff yourself. You could write an integration for UCS if you were if you were working with UCS and you had Splunk and you were into that. But you're just producing sort of pre-canned out of the box um, IP for that. Exactly. Uh, just to make it. So not everyone has to do coding. Okay, yeah, no, I, I see. There's there seems to be a lot of value in that. So there's lots of people doing doing that for things like Orchestrator, um, be that either the VMware version or the Microsoft version. Um, there's a lot of little consultancies producing like uh, what do they call them for the Microsoft Orchestrator integration packs. Um, sometimes the vendors themselves are producing them, uh, as in your case. So you know you've obviously got alliances with a number of, you know, sort of alliances, partnerships with a number of people. Um, and I, yeah. guess, I guess there must be some sort of a third-party sort of Splunk consultancies or Splunk shops, as I think we should call them, um, who are also producing that kind of thing. Has, has, has it got its own sort of little ecosystem around it? Yeah, we, we definitely do. If, if you go to Splunk.com, you'll see that there's a um, Splunk base, is what we call it, and it's where people can upload their own applications and integrations that they've created. So what, what the end result of what I produce is going to go on the same website that customers and partners of ours will uh, publish their own apps. All right, okay. So it's, that sounds a little bit like a SoloWinds kind of whack idea in that, you know, you've got a lot of community-driven or, you know, sort of end-user-driven content that is shareable within the application. Or yeah, that's the idea. Okay, no, that's that sounds like a pretty neat. Because Christian, weren't you trying to do that with some? With, there is now an official VMware module, but you were looking at some of the the ones that people were producing, weren't you? Yeah, I was. This is a long time ago, and I haven't looked at it since, to be honest. But what I kind of uh, did was I I downloaded the free edition of Spunk, installed it, pointed my vSphere servers to it, and and provided all the syslogging there. And then it basically didn't give me all that much. And I was kind of hoping that they would move into an area where I, it would give me something kind of out of the box without me having to run around learning how to search the stuff and, and do something around that. So I, I'm guessing that's what, what's happening with the, uh, with the plugins and the stuff. Uh, but that's what it, it, but remember, it's, it's a long time since I did anything with this. But what if if I yeah. download Splunk today and put in a VSware or VMware plugin or whatever, and provide it with the uh, with the syslogs from that host or the cluster, then what? What do I get out of it? 
Okay, so there's a few. Um, basically, the the challenge that you ran into is the reason that a team like the team that I'm on exists. You know, we we want to lower that barrier to ent- entry and and you know create something interesting and useful right out of the box for you. So we we have a um, a, a Splunk solution for VMware, uh, not created by my team, but we have a, a peer team that that works on some some large projects like this one, and uh, we have an enterprise security product as well. And um, first thing I want to mention is that first of all you can't get you can't learn everything about your vSphere environment by looking at syslog events no. so the things that come out of syslog are by their nature they are specific to ESX and uh, you know, historically you think about what syslog is and what types of things uh, go through it we're, we're talking about the um, the console o- OS of what VMware is doing you know so that's that that has nothing to do with vCenter. It has nothing to do um, necessarily with the, all of the components in your environment. So you're only getting a subset of what's going on. So what our VMware app does is it is going to be executing scripts using the Perl SDK to grab data about your environment. So you're going to be able to, you know, for example, search through and browse the uh, you know the, the the hierarchy of the objects in your environment you know your hosts your clusters and and so on data centers and also we're getting data like events and tasks and uh, you know performance uh, data obviously that's very important and the um, the the key thing that uh, that I, that I like to point out that we do differently from what VMware is doing that that what you can do or what you can't do with uh, vCenter itself is that uh, once you get beyond a certain amount of data going through that vCenter database, VMware will be the first one to tell you, you need to raise these log levels. You need to shorten these retention periods because you're going to overload that database. And it's just not meant to hold that the full amount of data that is available through the system. So what we do is actually turn up the log levels to the, uh, to the most granular setting we're going to go to uh, your ESX hosts and to vCenter itself and get the 20-second, quote-unquote, real-time performance data and then store it in Splunk and allow you to manipulate it there instead of doing so in, in the vCenter client. Okay. So um, give you a couple examples. So, for example, the um, if you wanted to track the history of a virtual machine as far as which hosts it's lived on, that's not something you can really do in the vCenter client. So we could, because we're collecting this data over a period of time, we can track the events that occur when you vMotion a box from, from one place to another and show you, you know, for example, over the past week, over the past month, what have you, which systems that a, that a virtual machine has lived on. Or okay. another example, the, uh, the, the tasks and events that occur... If you have a busy environment, those things age out of the uh, the user interface very quickly, especially if you're doing, uh, for example, some you know uh, backups, you know, using uh, an automated solution like Veeam or or similar. You're going to have a, a ton of events that are triggered overnight during your backup windows, and that's going to flush away anything that might have been otherwise uh, easily visible in the in the vCenter user interface. So if you're gonna if you take put Splunk in there, we're gonna pull all these things out and then allow you to, you know, do some interesting queries and, and, you know, dig through these 
all this information that's in there that uh, you didn't even know was useful until you uh, try to find it and you realize, okay, you know, I can't go back that far because uh, you know vCenter only holds it for a day, for example. Yeah. Okay. And 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 you do that by just monitoring uh, instead. Of, you don't attach anything to tasks and events and and triggers stuff that way. Just monitoring everything and just getting all the data out of there and then manipulate it and elsewhere. Yeah. So we're not making any changes to the environment, and the the interface that we're using is the Perl SDK, yeah. which goes through the same you know vSphere API, which. Power CLI uses, which the vSphere client uses, and so forth. Yeah. Are you, are you doing any Power CLI stuff for Spark as well, or is that Perl? All of it? Uh, not really. Um, well, there's a, there's a few different pieces. What what we do is inherently cross-platform, right? So, yes. for me to go in and produce something for Splunk, which uses PowerShell or Power CLI, it may or may not make sense, depending on the context. So let me give you an example. I'm doing work on uh, Cisco UCS, and that's a server platform, and it's not tied to you know any particular operating system. You could be running anything on there. So relying on PowerShell for that doesn't make as much sense. You know, it's you know. So what what the plan is is to do that work in Python. On the other hand, um, we've got a couple of coworkers who are creating apps for uh, Citrix products, like Zen, Zen App and uh, Zen Desktop and Zen Server. Well, that is a Windows-based environment, so it, it does make sense to depend on PowerShell for, that, for those. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I'm not doing Power CLI work with Splunk right now. I am doing some PowerShell work, and that will just kind of um, depend on what the requirements are. But for UCS specifically, I am getting into some PowerShell lately, um, Cisco has a great PowerShell module for uh, managing that environment, but long term, that's going to be all done in Python because, like I said, Cisco not being a, a platform-specific product, I don't want to create a dependency for Windows where there otherwise wouldn't be one. Exactly. Of course, you never know what if you if you want to create something that's cross-platform, you never know what they're going to run anyway. So. It's a, it makes a lot of sense to uh, not do that uh, in that way. And, and I was just wondering why, personally, you, as a kind of the PowerShell and PowerCLI guy that you are, uh, if you moved into Splunk because that's something you would be working specifically on or not. So That's, that's a good question. And um, if, I, if, if there were no other factors in the decision, then I would use PowerShell for everything anyway, because that's where I'm most familiar. And uh, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm not a developer. I've never considered myself a developer. So, and I don't, um, I don't pick up multiple languages real easy, easily necessarily. So, you know, I, I would, I would much rather do everything in PowerShell. But um, I'm finding that Python is, um, it's not too bad. It's not uh, too different from PowerShell. A lot of the concepts do translate pretty well. So I think as I uh, get more comfortable with that language, I um, won't mind it so much. And, and it's and it's powerful and flexible and cross-platform. So it's it's a good choice. Yeah, always always choose the tool that will get the job done. I guess so. Doesn't matter what tool it is, as, as long as it, it actually does what you need, and it's correct for the job at hand. So. 
Right, right. So we're we are starting to run out of time uh, for our for our slot. Um, so I thought we'd finish off with a, a very quick roundup of the news. Um, so, you know, we're not a, a full what's uh, what's new in the in the news uh, podcast, but we we like to touch on new stuff. So uh, uh, you you uh, I I hear something. There's something view shaped that's uh, that's recently been been launched. Yeah, View 5.1 got launched, I guess, yesterday, um, which was a really interesting uh, coincidence since I set up a View 5 Hero Lab on Wednesday. So basically, 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 a couple of hours after my lab setup was complete, I had to upgrade it because the new version was out. To be honest, I actually knew that it would be released uh, on the 16th or the 17th, but I... I I needed to get my lab up and running before that due to actually having to do some view implementations for a Norwegian media company pretty soon. So I, uh, I actually did the upgrade from 5 to 5.1 today uh, at, the, at the office in my lab there, So uh, which was pretty painless, to be honest. And view 5.1 does look interesting. It really does. Excellent, excellent. Sp- speaking of um, sort of the Norwegian uh, industries, uh, how is the dairy crisis? Uh, that's fine uh, at the moment, uh, unless you count the uh, the uh, the actual uh, farmers actually threatening to remove bread from uh, our shops. Removing bread. So you, now, first you had no butter. Now potentially no bread. Is this what? What is your your major anti-sandwich policies that are going on here? I have no idea. Uh, there's, yeah. there's I know the Danes like to economise and they take the top half off their sandwich, but <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Well, Norwegian farmers seems to have a grudge these days. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, probably because I'm not really involved in farming that much, to be honest. But I don't know. There's uh, there's something about Norwegian farming that's interesting these days. So I never know what's going to happen. I think I actually think Norwegian farmers stop. Uh, the printing of a newspaper here yesterday or something. It's, uh, it's Scotty Miller Chuck culture. I didn't even realize you could grow things inside the Arctic Circle. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess that's what happens when you have a country that pretty much seems to be fairly isolated from the rest of Europe and the world in regards to an economic downturn. Yeah, we don't I'm no- with you here in Switzerland. No- we're we're the same as you. <laughs> we we don't notice that stuff. It doesn't happen here, to be honest. The only only Norwegian people who are pretty affected by it in in a negative way is kind of uh, Norwegian export goods and whatever because they have problems selling their stuff in the rest of Europe. But besides that, we have low interest rates and every everyone makes a lot of money, and so I I guess that's. The farmers need to create something to have something to do. I don't know. I, I don't get it. But <laughs> yeah, when you don't have problems, you got to create your own, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that just happens to be bread and butter. Yeah. Quite lit. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, other quick little bit of news. Uh, obviously, the uh, um, VCDX wannabe project is still, still ongoing. Um, there have been recently a... A number of boot camps uh, run by uh, John Arashid, who is VCTX 001. Um, one of those. They were very good. 
Um, I, I was lucky enough to attend the one in um, at uh, in the UK. Um, some some really good uh, content. I mean, this is it's basically the same um, content that he's delivered at PEX. Um, and I believe I can't remember if he did it at VMworld or one of the VMworld um, events. Just about you know how the defence and things work, and it did kind of spur me on to I've, I've decided that I am going to personally at least have a crack at submitting something. Um, and you know what, if I don't even get a, accepted for a defence, I know I tried. Uh, you know I've given it a go. Um, I've got as far as I've bought a whiteboard. This is my my own personal news is that my my uh, spare room slash office now has a whiteboard, so I don't have to draw on the walls, and it looked like sort of the scene from uh, from ET where Elliot gets a bit uh, bit carried away. Um, so that that was my next. <laughs> next year, I was going to have to start scrolling on the walls because I had loads of ideas and nowhere to write them. Um, but yeah, what, having a home whiteboard is—I uh, I suddenly feel like I, I'm uh, much more productive as a result. That's good. I, I actually got an email from Arjan Timmerman today, uh, previous guest, of course, um, where he's—he and Marco Broken and okay. Jokep and. Joke Piska um, are, are doing some kind of study group in the Netherlands as well, and wanted to know if we're if um, VCDX wannabe wanted to kind of host some of their stuff, which I'm I'm extremely positive to doing, but I haven't been able to set it up yet for them. But the, the, it seems like uh, uh, the whole VCDX wannabe thing has kind of prompted a, a bit of the stuff that I wanted it to, where where people get together and try to to do some study groups and, and do something on their own uh, while collaborating with others through getting into the the common goal we we have. So it's interesting. I'll, 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 it'll be interesting to see where where everyone ends up in that project. Yeah. So Ed, any news on your end? Well, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll add this. Um, we're looking for, in, in Switzerland, to work with me, we're looking for a uh, virtualization specialist. Um, warning, you'd have to work uh, probably kind of for me. So uh, <laughs> It's basically to be your bitch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have to be in the, uh, we prefer you're already in the EU. It, that's our only requirement, and... Um, the experts especially welcome. The experts and um, people from the community especially welcome. So if you're interested, um, get me your CV and I'll put it through the appropriate channels. That would be interesting. If VSoup actually can get someone to apply for a job in Switzerland. VSoup recruitment. Yeah. <laughs> you heard him first. <laughs> Yet another branch of the VSoup franchise. I think we, should, we would call them VSuperstars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to post it on some... Mm, I was gonna, I, Yeah, I didn't think it was good for Twitter. I think this is okay. If you listen all the way through and you get this information and you're still interested, yeah, give me your CV. <laughs> yeah. You're, I mean, if you can put up with Ed for an hour, then you know you, you basically deserve the job anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can handle my disgusting jokes, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you're good. Uncomfortable silence. No, that was comfortable. That yeah, was comfortable? Okay. Well, with that in mind, let's wrap up. Hal, thanks a lot for joining us. It was about time we got you on. We only tried about 
25 times. Thanks a lot for being on. Hell. Did we just abruptly drop? No, no, no. I expected you to, to respond, but that's all good. Oh, no, I it it all it cut out what you said. Okay, I'll start over again. I'll cut that part. <laughs> uh, all right. With that in mind, let's uh, let's wrap up uh, this this episode of eSoup um, with Hal Rottenberg. Thanks a lot, Hal, for being on. We appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm I'm glad that you uh, guys were ha- had the tenacity to uh, work through all these scheduling challenges. No worries, no worries. We're all busy in the end here. Uh, but if you want to uh, check us out, you can get us on Stitcher, iTunes, or vsoup.net. Thanks a lot for listening, guys.